Amen. So, you know, there's a lot of things in life that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for my family. I'm excited for Thanksgiving. My mom makes, sometimes, it's called strawberry junket. Has anybody ever had strawberry junket? Anybody ever had that? Ivy has. Yes, let's go. Okay, strawberry junket, I don't even know what it is, but it, it's really good. It's like this crust. I don't, I'm not going to get, I'll get too carried away. But my mom makes that, and I'm super grateful for that. I'm grateful for my brothers, for my grandparents, some of whom aren't with us. Um, but I'm just super grateful for my family. There's a lot of stuff to be grateful for. But, you know, when we start to get ungrateful, I think it's because we've put our hope in the wrong things. You know, if I was expecting my mom, let's say I still lived at home, I expected her to make strawberry junket every day, and then I got disappointed when it didn't happen. It's a lack of gratitude for the times that she does make it because I have a wrong expectation and a wrong idea. But there's this image in the Bible. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Sometimes the way that the Bible presents things is not the way that we would expect. And so I want to give you guys this startling image of the source of our gratitude that the Scriptures gives us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, um, which is up there. Great job, Ellen. Um, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. And then in Colossians 2, this image of a triumphal procession is used again. So I want to highlight what that is because it's really an amazing image that the Bible uses in verse 14. It says, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So this word triumph is actually a a really technical term um, that Paul is using to describe something that the Romans would do. Right here, this is called a triumphal procession. That's somebody's imagination of it. It's a painting. But you see his face is painted red. He's on this chariot with the winged people there, and there's all the people lining right here. I don't know what that thing is. I think it's some kind of angel. And and then you got these people lining the street, and they're kind of marching through the street. So what happened is the Romans, can we go to the map? There's a map, I think, right? Yeah, the Romans, right? So this is the Roman Empire. It's humongous. Um, Matter of fact, you can imagine, this is France. It's about the size of Texas, so it's really big. Um, and the Romans started out with this tiny city, one city, and they conquered all that. And so what would, that, what would happen is when they conquered something, they would have what they called a triumph. Now, you had to meet certain criteria. I'm not going to get too much into it because, you know, I'm a historian. I might get carried away. But you have certain criteria that you had to meet as a general, and you were then allowed. That's what they call it. You're allowed to have a triumphal procession. But I want to give you an example. This area right here is called Gallia. It also could be called Celtica. It's where we get, you know, the Celtics, the Boston Celtics. That's where we get the name from, right here. 
Also here, Irish people. So the Irish people actually existed pretty much all the way through here. Pretty impressive. But then the Romans wiped them all out, so not anymore. Um, <laughs> so Julius Caesar conquered this area right here. Switzerland, France, Belgium, all of that in about 10 years, which is really impressive back in the day. And Julius Caesar was, was the best Roman general who ever lived, probably. But he had four triumphs, so Julius Caesar was pretty impressive in Roman eyes. But one of the guys that fought against him was named Vercingetorix. He became the high king of all the Gauls, which they never had before because of Caesar. They were so afraid of him that they got a high king so they could fight him. So they fought for 10 years. Caesar ended up wiping them out. I think close to 2 million people were killed by some estimates in the wars. And that's like a fifth of their population. And so Caesar had a triumph. And what he did was he brought in Vercingetorix to the city of Rome. And he brought all the soldiers with him. And his soldiers marched right behind him. He was in the chariot with a painted red face. And Caesar was meant to represent the god Jupiter, the king of the Roman gods. So he leads the way up to the temple. And they bring the soldiers behind them, and then behind them, all the captives. And people would have incense, and they're walking along kind of swinging this incense, right? So you could smell it. And so the Romans there, they loved the incense. Why? Because it's a smell of victory. But for the captives, it was a smell of death. But the amazing thing about the Bible, if we can go back to that passage, okay, the Bible does this amazing thing where it totally turns that image on its head. You know, because Paul describes us in 2 Corinthians, he actually describes himself, but I think it refers to all Christians as well. He describes himself as a captive in Christ's triumphal procession. So you picture Jesus leading the way as the general, the, the king, the conqueror, and, in his and then there's his soldiers, and then there's the captives. You know, and sometimes people will think, well, we must be the soldiers because we're victorious with Jesus. But it says we're the captives. And if you look elsewhere in Scripture, in Colossians chapter 1, right before he uses that analogy again, he talks about how we were enemies of God and we were reconciled to him. And so we're the captives. All Christians are captives of Jesus. It's, I mean, but somehow that incense that is the smell of death to us becomes life for us because of Jesus and his victory. You know, and I would much rather be the victorious soldier. That's what I grew up wanting to be. But now I have to be a captive. But amen, thanks be to God. So the fact is, God has defeated us because we were his enemies. And we submitted to him, and through that submission, we become a part of his people. And we don't need to be afraid of losing our worldly goods because we already gave them all up to Jesus. You know what Caesar did with Vercingetorix's money? He threw it to the crowds. Here. It's not yours anymore, Vercingetorix. How do you feel about that? And the people love Caesar. And his soldiers got big bonuses because they won the war. But our stuff is no longer ours. It's Jesus. Our life is no longer ours. It's Jesus's. And you know what they did with the captives at the end of the procession? They executed them. So Vercingetorix was killed and all his soldiers. But for us, we've already died in Jesus. And so we don't have to be executed at the end. We get to live. Because we've surrendered. You know, and through this, God has freed us from slavery. And I think that's an amazing image because Paul says, thanks be to God that we are his captives. You know, I mean, it's a total reversal of the world's wisdom and how we want to think about what we should be grateful for. But we get to be grateful that God has captured our hearts. And if he hasn't captured your heart, you got to ask yourself where you're at. Because God is constantly seeking to conquer the hearts of men, in a good way. And if you're refusing to submit, 
then the result, you don't get to be in his triumphal procession. And so, in Luke 17, okay, so I, you can feel immense gratitude from this conquest of your heart that Jesus has done. And I, and I want to tell you guys about my life. You know, so I grew up, Bethany's story resonated a lot with me because I grew up going to church with my folks in Minneapolis. I was a very religious guy. I was the kind of guy that people said, that's a good guy. I mean, I never swore. People would try to get me to swear because I didn't swear. And that, you know, I just, just who I was. It wasn't necessarily something to my credit. It was just how God made me. But I didn't swear. I had good grades, pretty good grades. They could have been better. I had pretty good grades. I was a pretty good athlete. Uh, one time I got detention, I started crying, and they canceled it. <laughs> Embarrassing. Embarrassing. And all the girls were like, oh, Grayson, it's okay. And I was like, it's horrible. <laughs> and so they canceled detention. They're like, no, don't bring him in. We don't need this. <laughs> And uh, it was a good, but I was very much a goody two-shoes, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I, whenever people were watching, I did what was right, or at least as far as I knew. But when people weren't watching, I did whatever I wanted. I was full of sin and darkness, and I wasn't surrendered to Jesus. You know, on the outside, people looked at me and they thought, that's a good guy. But on the inside, I was full of rebellion against God and full of darkness. And so God reconciled me when I became, when I turned 16, I started studying the Bible. And I started really seeking out, like, wh what do I need to do to be in a right relationship with God? What, what should I do? And as I was studying it, I realized I was in darkness. Because I always still kind of thought of myself as a good guy. And the Bible really revealed that. And so I submitted, and I was forgiven. And this, this uh, brings me to Luke 17. Verse 11. It's an interesting story here. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So there's these ten guys that have leprosy or some kind of skin disease. It's unclear. But they had a skin disease that would have made them ostracized from society. They have what, today, they still, we still have what we call leper colonies, um, most prominently in India, but I did some research. There's one in the United States in Hawaii. It's on an island, um, and there's really only two people left because most of them have died, and they've shut down the colony because people don't get leprosy anymore. They have a cure, but they had this colony where they would send people. If you had leprosy, just go there. We don't want to deal with this. And so they would cut these people off from society, and that's how it was in, in ancient Israel. I mean, people, it was considered unclean because it was contagious and amongst other reasons, so you couldn't come near other people. And so you're cut off from your family, you're cut off from society, and you're totally dependent on other people taking care of you um, and their, their mercy towards you. And so these men, they come to Jesus, but they stand at a distance because they're not supposed to go close to a rabbi. Jesus was the ultimate rabbi, so they're standing far away. They're like, we don't want to go near this guy. He might get upset. 
But they said, Lord, have mercy on us, right? And Jesus says, well, go show yourself to the priest and you'll be cleansed. And as they're going, they are. They don't even get there and they're cleansed. And then nine of them, who knows where they went? You know, you got to wonder, where did the other nine go? Did they go home to their families? Did they go to the temple to show themselves to the priest like they were told? We don't know. But only one of them comes back. And it says that he threw himself at Jesus' feet. And he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. So this guy's not even considered a Jew. He's not of the proper group. But he shows gratitude to God. And then Jesus says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? You know, in my life, I was like that leper, cut off from God, separated from him. And God cleansed me. You know, he showed me that he could do that. And, and I think that these other nine, they were cleansed of their physical ailments, but their hearts were still in rebellion. And there's a difference. See, I bet they felt grateful, though. You know, I, I presume they probably felt really grateful. I get to go see my family again. I get to go be in society. But they didn't give thanks. And there's a big difference between feeling grateful and expressing, giving thanks to God. But this, this thanksgiving that this guy gives primarily takes the form of surrender. He comes and he bows before Jesus. He surrenders to Jesus. And that's how he shows gratitude. And of course, he used his mouth, but the main thing was the condition of his heart. And so the question is today, do you have gratitude towards God, and how are you expressing it? Because if you're not surrendered to him, that's not the kind of gratitude that he's looking for. He doesn't just want praise from your mouth and a heart that is rebellious. So, Philippians. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. I just want to give you one more image of Paul and what he was like before, before he became a Christian because it also sort of reminds me of myself. Chapter 3, verse 4. Okay, so Paul describes himself here, and he, he sounds a lot like me, I think, um, although I don't pretend to be an apostle. He, he was, but in verse 4, though I myself, okay, sorry, verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul describes himself before Jesus. He says, to all appearances, I was a blameless person. And nobody in my, amongst my people could hold anything against me. I was perfect in following the law. That's what he says, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. First of all, that whole chapter, amazing, you should read it. But he says, 
I consider all these other things garbage. I mean, man, so growing up, I thought I was a good athlete. Guess what? Garbage. Who cares about that? I thought that I had it all together because I was hot stuff, and I don't swear. And look at you, you bunch of heathens. You curse all the time. Right? I thought I was faultless in so many ways. And whenever I felt like people thought I wasn't faultless, I got so insecure. But whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You see how Paul transformed because he surrendered to Jesus. You guys know the story, right? Paul's walking along the road, and he gets confronted by Jesus. And he basically says, Lord, who are you? <laughs> He's like, this is the Lord, so now I have to surrender. But who is this? He finds out it's Jesus. And for three days, he fasts, and he prays, and he surrenders everything he has to God. You know, now when I pray, a lot of times one of the first things I'll do is I'll give thanks. But towards the end of my prayer, usually what I do is I surrender things to God, the things that are most important to me. You know, this, this ministry, this campus ministry is really important to me. To God, it's not my ministry, it's yours. My relationship with Ivy, very important to me. It's not my girlfriend, it's your, it's your daughter, right? It's not his girlfriend, but <laughs> it's your daughter. It's, you know, these aren't my friends, these aren't my brothers. These, these are your people, and I'm going to treat them like that, and I'm going to show gratitude to you for that. And by doing that, I surrender to him, and I show real gratitude, because there's a, there's a false kind of gratitude where you just go, thank you, thank you so much but I'm just going to do what I want to do, right? I mean, oh, thank you so much for sacrificing your son. Every Sunday, people, they go to church. Thank you so much. Now I'm just going to go home and watch football all day, and then I'm going to go tomorrow to work, and I'm just going to act like I never heard about Jesus. Trust me, that was me. I went to church every Sunday. I was the guy, I was like, I was like paying attention. I was like, bro, why are you not punching my brothers? Why are you not paying attention? But in my heart, I still just did whatever I wanted. But I wanted to keep up an image. And that image was due to a lack of gratitude. And when I started reading the story of the cross, that's totally what changed my heart. I started reading the story of the cross, and I started connecting with what God had went through for me, what Jesus went through for me. And that's when I started to feel gratitude. And then the moment I felt real gratitude, I was willing to submit. I remember I was, so we're sitting there in the basement, reading the story, and they said, Grayson, why don't you read this passage? So I started reading. And he said, they spit on his face. And I had somebody very close to me spit on my face before, and I, was, I just couldn't read it anymore because it hurt so much. And then I understood what Jesus went through, and then I had real gratitude. And then I remember one of the guys, he started patting me on the back. He's like, you got it. He could just tell because my heart totally changed. Just through those simple words in the scripture, they spat on his face. And I'll never forget those words. I might just go to my grave saying they spat on his face. And people be like, what's wrong with you? But it's just like, man, like, that gratitude changed my heart. And if you claim to have gratitude, but doesn't change what you do, I wonder if it's real gratitude. I really do. Are you really surrendered? Are, are you going to be a part of Christ's triumphal procession? My last point, I want to talk about expressing gratitude. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, I thank my God, this is Paul, every time I remember you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Ephesians 1, 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And then the last one, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. 
See, Paul, he starts off his letters, almost all of them. I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful to God, and I always mention you in my prayers. Paul is incredibly grateful for God's people, and you can imagine why. He went from being separated from God, from being against God's people, to then being accepted by God's people as one of his apostles. Amazing gift. And he's not the least bit afraid to express his gratitude. You know, I think as men, I don't know about you ladies, but as men, it's so hard for us to say thank you. I swear, at least for me. <laughs> Be like, I mean, my parents taught me to say thank you. But to really say it, you know, to be like, thank you so much. To show gratitude. Like, you know, just people are just doing everything for me. They're making me pumpkin pie, and, and I just got to say thank you somehow. And one of my favorite traditions, okay, for Thanksgiving, my mom is making food, and my aunt as well. They love doing it. They're both named Tammy, too. It's super weird. Um, so it's Aunt Tammy and Mom Tammy. And they're making, they're cooking in the, in the kitchen, and, you know, and, and, and I'll go in there. Me and my brothers, we always just kind of walk in, and we just kind of, like stand there, and we're just kind of like waiting. And they're like, food's not ready. And we're like, well, when's it going to be ready? <laughs> but honestly, I mean, the reason I do that, honestly, because we just do that, con like we'll just keep coming back. And the reason I do that is to show gratitude. Because now I'm showing that I'm eager to eat their food. <laughs> and I think they really like it, but they pretend like it's annoying. Uh, you know, I don't know. It's a game. But the point is, it's hard for me to just say thank you for cooking. So I'm just going to do it this way. I'm just going to kind of walk in here and just be kind of weird. And I think it's hard for, for a lot of guys, and I don't, maybe for ladies as well, to express our gratitude. Because we're supposed to be independent and separate, and we don't need you. We don't need this. We don't need that. And Paul isn't that way at all. Paul is immensely grateful. And he expresses it constantly in all his communication with people. And his, his gratitude for God's people is not conditional on their performance. Okay, you see 1 Corinthians uh, right in the opening of a letter to a church that is full of people who are literally prostituting themselves, sleeping with their stepmothers. I mean, like, really messed up. I'm just being honest. And yet he says, I'm grateful for you. Could you imagine saying that to somebody who's just causing problems in your life constantly? Like, thank you so much. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and this is what it was, a problem church. And yet his gratitude is not conditional on their performance. You know, and... The amazing thing is that, that we, we aren't perfect either. And yet, I think God is grateful for us. I really do. And our gratitude should be based on the fact that God has put us together to be his family and be, to be grateful for what God has done. He's brought us all as captives into his train, his triumphal procession. And we should be immensely grateful. And so, I, you know, I do want to give you guys a negative example from my life, but there was a time when I was younger, before I was a Christian, uh, before Jesus had taught me a better way. I was an incredibly ungrateful person. I expected things to be given to me constantly. And uh, I treated people that way. Like, if I didn't get what I wanted, it's because you messed up. And I deserve this. And I remember one of the worst, one of the lowest moments in my life, one of the worst things I ever did. I told my dad, I'm not kidding, I told him, I hate you. I hate everything that you've given to me. I don't like this house. I hate everything. All of it. I don't want any of it. And my dad, you know, he's, he's a good man. He, he honestly just, he took it. And he was silent. And then I went to my room and I was pouting like a big baby. And I regret saying that to this day. You know, I was just immensely ungrateful and I wasn't afraid to express my ingratitude. 
My dad worked hard all his life for me. My grandpa, all the fam, my family has just worked for my life and for my brothers, just worked their butts off. And here I am being so ungrateful because I don't even know why I said that. I have no idea. It's just what came out of my mouth. But you know, God has worked a change in my heart where now I'm, I tell my dad I'm grateful for him. I hope a lot. Probably I need to do it more. I'm so grateful for my dad and my mom. They, they taught me faith. They're, like my dad used to do devotionals. And we'd just sit in the house and he'd read scriptures. And I'd be listening. And that's how I learned to believe in Jesus. That's where it started. You know, my dad taught me hard work. You know, he got drafted to the NHL not because he sat on his bum all day, because he worked really hard. And he would always make us split wood because I think he hated it, so he made sure we did it. <laughs> you know, my dad, he's just an amazing man. And, and my mom, really amazing too. Sometimes, you know, a little too giving. We'd be like, Mom, we can do this. And he'd be like, no, I'm doing it. And that really got on my nerves. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's like, let me help. You do everything. <laughs> but my parents are immensely hard workers. They have great faith. You know, at times they've been mistreated by people in, in the church, and they always forgive. Sometimes my mom will bring up stuff that people have done in the past, and my dad will just be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he doesn't even remember. Um, you know, it's just how my parents are, and I'm so grateful. And our relationship has improved immensely since I became grateful. But I wasn't afraid to express my ingratitude. Why should I be afraid to express my gratitude? You know, I, for you teens, if you're expressing ingratitude to your parents, stop and express some gratitude. Because it's just, it's ridiculous, and I, I can't stand it. So please, don't ever do that. And if you do, say I'm sorry, okay? Because you, your parents deserve some gratitude. And for everyone else, I mean, parents, express some gratitude to your kids, too. It's helpful. Uh, the Bible says fathers don't exasperate your children. Sometimes my dad would exasperate me. Uh, you know, just go split some wood, go split some wood. All right, fine, I'll split some darn wood. But it's just... You know, at the end of the day, it was good for me, but, but I'm saying, like, parents, I, I think parents are grateful for the kids, by the way, kids, so take that example. Um, but express gratitude for your siblings, for your friends. You know, this Thanksgiving, my, my family now, they've started asking me to pray all the time at Thanksgiving. They never used to do that. We used to pray, but it was always my dad. Now it's me. Um, really weird. I feel like I'm taking over the role. It's just weird. But they're like, they always ask me to pray. I think because of the role I have in the church and stuff. And, um, but this, this year I plan on giving a lot of gratitude in my prayer, more so even than normal, and just going through each person in my family, my cousins, my aunt, my uncle, just telling God why I'm grateful for them. Because I am grateful, and I should express it, right? I mean, one thing I do with, with my prayers is I have a list, and if something gets answered, I cross it out, and I no longer pray for it to happen. I just pray out of gratitude. You know, I mean, I'll give you an example. Brother Corey Mallon over here. I was praying for a long time for Corey to become a Christian. And this dude, he ends up getting baptized, and I cross it out, and I just, every day, thank you, Jesus, for, make, for helping Corey. You know, and I think that's, that's a great practice that I, that I participated in. And I, I didn't start doing it until last year, but it's helped me to be grateful. And my gratitude helps me to surrender. You know, I mean, give thanks for the things that you've been given, for food. Man, I was so grateful for that pie yesterday. Just... Man, who made that, by the way? I want to know who made the pie, because I'm just, like, fired up. All right, I'll figure it out later. Um, but I had so much pie. I'm going to eat more today. Um, and just, just give gratitude, because there's a difference between feeling some mushy-gushies and really telling people, like, I'm so grateful. And, and with God, surrender your life to him, because it's so worth it. I mean, if you haven't, what are you waiting for? 
I'm being honest, because I was at a place where I had not surrendered. And after I did, I was like, what was I thinking? Like, what a waste of my time. And so I just want to encourage you guys this morning. I'm so grateful for all of you, for how you guys have really taken me in and made me a part of your family, how you have supported me financially, amen, Um, more than I need, for sure, and more than I deserve. And I'm just so grateful for each one here, and and I want to I want to make sure that I express that because I love you guys, um, you know. And I, and I'm not gonna make my grateful my gratitude conditional on how you guys treat me every Sunday, and whether or not you like my sermons. Okay, that would just be ridiculous. Um, and so at this time.